We're so glad you're here today. Man, I, I'm really looking forward to this day, and folks are still coming in, so if you have your room near you, kind of scoot over a little bit. That's awesome. Wow, what a Christmas season. We have been so uh, loving this time of the year here at Vertical. We've been talking about what it means that Christmas is really all about the majesty of Jesus. And there's a lot of stuff I love about Christmas. I love all the cookies that are being baked around our house that we're going to decorate tonight, and I'll eat, and I hope someone saved me some cookie dough. And we're going to, you know, watch some Christmas movies. We're going to give some gifts. We're going to have time with the family. I love all of that. I love the music. I love the feel of Christmas. But I want to tell you, there's a bigger piece to Christmas than just all of that. It is Jesus himself. It is at the center of all that God has done. From the beginning of which there is no beginning to the end of which there is no end, the center is Jesus Christ. Amen? The majesty of Christmas is Jesus. Imagine, unto us a child was born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Here in this one child was the fullness of God. Here in this one child was the Word of God become flesh. Here in this one child is the hope of all nations and all things will be one day summed up in him, and he will be the heir of all things. Amen? Amen. We've been looking at the passage of Hebrews chapter 1. If you want to turn with me in your Bible, if you brought your Bible tonight, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible app on your phone or your cellular device, whatever you've got, Hebrews chapter 1 is where we are tonight. We're going to be looking at the story of Christmas from a different perspective than maybe you thought of. We usually think of the story of Christmas from maybe the shepherd's perspective or the angel's perspective or maybe from Mary or Joseph or the wise men. But tonight, we're going to finish up what we've been looking at here at Vertical Church as the look and the perspective of Christmas from heaven, from God's point of view, what God had in mind and what God was doing. Now, later in our service, we're going to take part in a communion time of worship, and you're going to see how all of this ties together into one grand worship experience. Hebrews chapter 1, it says in verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Do you hear what's happening in this verse? Do you hear it just kind of building? The crescendo is mounting as it just describes the glories of Jesus. He's the one through whom all the worlds were made. He's the one that God spoke through and with and created all that we know of. He is the one who is the brightness of God's glory. Of all that radiates from who God is, Jesus is the brightest. And he is the very express image of God's heart. If you ever wondered, what is God like? Is he angry 
Is he mean? Is he out to make my life miserable? If you need answers to all of those questions, all you have to do is look at Jesus. He is the express image of his person, of his heart. He is the one. And this verse we've been building on for a couple of weeks or several weeks now at the glories of who Jesus is, this one who existed before there was a before and after, there will be an after. He is the one. And it says here in this last part of verse 3, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, Jesus was in heaven before he came to earth. We talk about the birth of Jesus, and he was born here on planet earth, but that was not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus has always existed with the Father, the Father, Son, and Spirit in eternity, in perfect fellowship, loving one another, full of wisdom, full of holiness, and it was out of all of that that you and I, Adam and Eve, were created. It wasn't that God said, oh, I'm so lonely out here. I just need somebody to love. That's not the story at all. You search the scriptures and you'll see it was out of the fullness of who they are. It was out of the love that was within them. It was out of the perfect wisdom of God. It was part of the eternal plan that he created Adam and Eve and made it possible for you and I to even be here tonight. Amen? So tonight we're going to focus on what this means that he purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, that's where he was before. He was there with God before. He comes to earth, and he returns there, but to a unique place. But we'll get into that. Let me talk for just a moment about the story, the story of you and I. Created in Adam and Eve to begin with. God created man and woman, and he created them out of his overflow. He created them from the dust of the earth, and they were the apex, the pinnacle of his creation. And he created man in his image. Wow. That is not said about any other element in creation. You and I created in the image of God. You and I, Adam and Eve, created and bearing the very glory of God. Ever wondered why when Adam and Eve sinned, it was then they recognized they were naked? It's because before that, they were clothed in the absolute glory of God. They walked in oneness with him. The earth was a very different place. God told them they could eat of whatever trees there were, except for one. And they were told to freely eat. And this wasn't just so they could gorge themselves with all the fruits and vegetables and things that were on the planet at the time. There was something about this fruit. There was something about these trees. They were different. They were filled with not just delicious taste. They were filled with spiritual life. Something about when you ate them, it did something to you. You shared in the glory of God because the planet was a very different place. And God created them there, and they walked with God. They had fellowship with him. They had responsibility. They were given dominion over the earth 
Adam and Eve walking in all of this, a very different experience than you and I can imagine. It's not like you and I just went to the most beautiful place on earth and it was like the Garden of Eden. I'm afraid it was not anything like that at all. You can pick your most beautiful place on the planet and I promise you it wasn't anywhere close to what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. They walked with God. They fellowshiped with him. There was no barrier between them. They knew him. He knew them. With only one restriction, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam, I don't want that to be the way you know me. I want you to eat of all that I've given you. I don't want you to get caught up in what you think is right and wrong and good and evil and think that knowing me and walking with me is about keeping a list of rules, Adam. Walking with me is about sharing heart, Adam. So don't eat from this tree because, Adam, in the day that you eat from it, something's going to happen, Adam. The day that you eat from it, you will die. You will die. Death will come upon you, Adam. Death will change everything about the planet, Adam. Don't eat from that tree. And you know the story. The Bible says that the serpent deceived Eve, and Adam disobeyed and ate the fruit. He took from what he was not to eat from, and sin happened. Sin changed everything. A moment of disobedience, a moment of I will do what I want to do, not what God says, a moment of choosing pleasure over obedience, a moment of choosing me over him, and everything changed in that moment. Adam and Eve hid. They were filled with guilt and shame. Now, in place of this fellowship that they knew with one another, now there was distance. Now there was hiding. Now there was blaming. Now there was pointing the finger. Now there was resentment. Now there was anger. Now there was resentment. Now there was this separation between them and God. When God comes walking in the, in the cool of the day in the garden, they run and hide because of their sin. Everything's changed. The glory has gone. Their role has changed. Everything has been changed. The planet has been altered. Sin has destroyed what once was. And God comes walking and calling for Adam. Adam, where are you? Like God didn't know. He knew. It was more for Adam's sake. So they come, they call out, and the conversation begins. A conversation of blaming one another, blaming the serpent. And God begins to just give them the consequences of their sin. They would be cast out of the garden, this place of wonder and glory and oneness and fellowship they would no longer know. They had tried to cover themselves with leaves, the Bible says. They had tried to sew together something to cover their shame. That's what we do whenever we sin. We don't want people to find out. We try to hide it, right? We try to act like there's nothing going on. There's nothing wrong. We try to hide it. We try to cover it. And Adam and Eve did it in the garden, and they sewed together their leaves. It was the first pair of leafies. There you go. Yeah. So... 
They try to cover themselves in their shame by their own coverings. They try to make a covering for themselves. And you know, people do that today. We try to make a covering for ourselves whenever we've sinned and fallen. We try to make ourselves look good whenever we know we've been bad. We try to cover so that no one will see. So we think, and we think that God won't see, but he sees all. And in this moment, what should have happened would have been the actual death of Adam and Eve. It should have been over right then because that's what the promise was from God. In the day that you eat from this, you will die. It'll be over. It'll be done. But God, but God is gracious. And he does something in the garden that sometimes folks miss. The Bible makes it clear. You read the story in Genesis that God took animal skins and clothed them. Now, where did he get those? Did he just have those waiting? Was there a Walmart around the corner and they didn't know it? No. God, watch this, God sacrificed an animal so that they could have their shame covered. We don't know what it was. I have to wonder if it wasn't a lamb because of what we know from the rest of Scripture. A lamb gave its life that day so that their disobedience could be covered, so that their shame could be covered, so that they could once again walk in fellowship with God because he had clothed them so that they could walk in fellowship with one another again and not be filled with resentment and anger and bitterness and selfishness. And we see in the garden, in the garden, the earliest picture of Jesus, a lamb being sacrificed for their sin. You know, the, the Bible goes on in Genesis, and it even, it even says that, that God said, I will put enmity between you, he's referring to the serpent here, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here is the first prophetic picture echoed down through the ages of a savior to come. Serpent, you will have a day in which you will bruise his heel. You will cause one to come from her and she, she will be she will bear this son and you will bruise his heel. He will fall. But oh, you better watch out because he's going to inflict a wound upon you as well. And it will be a wound upon your head. And he will crush you. And it will be the end of you and your power. And you have this beautiful picture in the early pages of Genesis of God saying, I am the one who covers sin. I am the one who will bring about victory and serpent. Your days are numbered. Amen. 
So the majesty of Jesus starts early in the scripture, and God speaks in many different ways. Three quick points tonight before we get into a moment of worship. From our verse tonight, we see that only Jesus could restore us to God. The verse tells us that when he had by himself purged our sins, by himself, there wasn't anyone else, there was no other plan, there was no other way that man could have his sins purged. Adam and Eve tried to create their own coverings. You go throughout the Old Testament and people, time after time, try to, try to make their own coverings. They try, to, they try to improve their life enough to make themselves presentable to God, to make themselves pleasing to God. They try to do it all in their own effort and it never, ever works. You can try to clean yourself up all day long, all year long, and you will never make yourself into the place of full righteousness that Jesus himself is. Amen? It doesn't matter how many times you get up to go to church, how much money you give, you're not going to impress God by your actions. You're not going to clean the slate. You're not going to clean up your act enough because what is required is to have your sin fully purged. You can't just clean it up. It's got to be fully eradicated and removed. And the last time I tried it, it was impossible. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? Only Jesus could come and restore us to God. It wasn't by keeping the law. No angel could do it. There weren't enough sacrifices offered to do it. Not the most faith-filled man or woman could do it. It would take someone to come to earth and give their life for us because we have sin in us. But blood had to be shed. Blood of a man had to be shed. The blood of a sinless man had to be shed. Only Jesus can do that. He's the only one that could restore us to God. It would have to be the blood of a sinless lamb offered in our place. And so when the angels meet the shepherds on the hillside in the Christmas story? Do you know what they're coming to announce that night is that he has come. Prophecies have foretold it. Promises have waited for it. And now he has come. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 2. It says that then the angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior which is Christ the Lord. He has come. He has finally come. The one we've waited on. The one that all the law pictured. The one that all the sacrifices were a picture of. He has finally come. When the shepherds came and they told the news to Mary, it says they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made known widely the saying which was told them concerning this child. The shepherds came and they told Mary and Joseph, hey, here is what the angel told us. Here is what we heard. This is the Savior. It's this that Mary treasured up in her heart. It wasn't that Mary just said, oh, this is such a beautiful night. I had a baby. The Bible says that she treasured up all these things in her heart. She was treasuring up the fact that God had been gracious and had given her the 
son of God. She would give birth, and that is what she was treasuring. This is what the angels praise God for. There is a Savior, the only one who could come and restore us to God, the only one who could pay our debt. He has come. Our second point tonight is this. Only Jesus could take the burden of our sin. He says in this verse that he purged our sin. Purged means he completely removed it, cleansed it. He totally eradicated it. This is something only Jesus could do, a full removal of sin. You know, he came here to this earth when John the Baptist saw him. He said, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He knew. And this is what Jesus had come to do. Jesus did not come to just make a payment for sin. He didn't come to just pay down on your sin debt. He actually became the one like us who had sinned. In fact, in the New Testament, it says that the one who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You take your worst horrid sin. It's okay if you think about that for just a moment right now because no one else is in on your head right now. You can just, you just think for a minute. The most horrid sins that you've ever committed, the most awful thoughts that you've ever thought, the darkest, deepest moments that you've ever experienced, the worst sins on the planet, that is what the Bible says that Jesus was born to become. He would walk in obedience to the Father and on the cross, he would bear and become our sin payment. He had to become the sin that was judged. He had to pay the price. He took the brunt of the judgment of all of eternity, all of the hatred, all the despising of sin. Jesus bore that in himself. That's what this baby was born for. And he took it. Only he could. He took the burden of our sin. Only Jesus could. And he did. Third point tonight, only Jesus could provide peace, rest, and hope. The last part of this verse says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, when Jesus had died and he was put into the tomb, he was resurrected. He didn't stay dead. He walked on earth for a while, then he ascended back up to the Father where he is today at the right hand of God. He is there. And do you know that even his place there is for our benefit? The Bible makes it clear that in that place, he is there now as the man in heaven praying for you and I. Wow, what comfort to know Jesus who's walked where we've walked, hurt where we've hurt, felt what we've felt, is now seated at the right hand of the Father at the place of the greatest power in eternity And he is praying for us. 
He's interceding for us. He is for us in that place. He is there as our hope. He is there saying the work is finished. He is there saying I rule and reign. And he even says, in, it even says in Colossians, for you now died if you put your faith in him and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your life is actually now hidden in him, seated at the right hand of the Father. Ooh. You see, this birth of Jesus was majestic, powerful, beyond what our minds can even imagine. And the Bible says it is ours to know and to receive. This is eternal life, to know the Son. And it's such a grand majestic experience, it's hard to take it all in, isn't it? It's hard to take in the, the gravity of my sin being paid for, the gravity of what it means to be made righteous like Jesus. It's hard to take all of that in. And so the Bible says that we have an experience that helps us to take it in. Jesus instituted what we know of today as communion a time where we take in what pictures him and his death for us. Tonight on either side of the room at the front, we have cups of juice that symbolize the blood shed for us. We have on these plates, we have pieces of unleavened bread that the Bible says are pictures of his body broken for us. And the experience of communion is one in which we take in the bread representing the body of Christ broken for us and the juice representing his blood so that we might take in forgiveness, love, this majestic plan, this wonderful Savior, this glorious God who has come that we may have life. I'm going to pray in just a moment after I read this passage and I would encourage you to take some time to pray. As you search your heart as you come tonight to receive what Jesus has done for you. 1 Corinthians 11 says this in verse 23. The Apostle Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What a joy tonight to know we have a Savior. We have one who loves us. We have one who has paid our sin debt. Set aside the fear. Set aside the worry. Set aside the doubt. And bring in worship. Bring in a heart that receives what Jesus has done for you.